Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. God has marriage on his mind. In fact, he has your marriage on his mind, believe it or not. But would you like to know why? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to discuss why God might have marriage on his mind and why your marriage matters. It has to do with God's ultimate and eternal plan. And if you have noticed, if you're somewhat familiar with the Bible, you'll notice from the very beginning of the book to the end of the book, God frames his entire plan, purpose, and the progression of that purpose or its failure in people's lives according to the matter of marriage. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about that. It's been a little while since we have. And as many of you know, if you've been listening to this program long, you know that marriage is one of the big things that we have talked about historically over the past 27 years here on this program as we confront the deepest issues of America's heart from God's eternal perspective. Why is that? Because God has marriage on his mind. He really does. In fact, we talk about the things that are on our minds. And from Genesis chapter 2 all the way uh, through uh, the book of Revelation chapter 20, 21, we find marriage, 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 marriage on God's mind. In fact, you get very upset because Israel itself, having been married to him, betrothed to him at Mount Sinai, refused to keep their marriage covenant. And it didn't work well for Israel. And it won't work well for you either, even if you profess to be a follower of Christ. Because your your marriage, actually, our marriages reflect our relationship with Christ, believe it or not. Think about it that way. My marriage is a reflection of my relationship with Christ. So today on Viewpoint, we have a very special guest joining us. I am so thrilled to have uh, Scott LaPierre joining us here on Viewpoint because he has given us a book called Your Marriage God's Way. Quite frankly, it is one of the finest, perhaps the finest book that I have come across in 27 years as we've talked with so many uh, leaders across the country. In fact, over 3,500 Christian leaders across the country over the past 27 years. So today on Viewpoint, you and I can have a good and reasonable expectation of being encouraged and informed and indeed challenged, I'm quite sure. But before we get to our guest, Scott LaPierre, I want to welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's our conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And would you believe a man married a hologram of a 16-year-old? That's right. He married a hologram of a 16-year-old, and now he's run into big problems. You know why? Because the hologram that he married isn't real. It's a pretense of the real thing. It's a creation of technology. And now, Aiko Kondo 
can't talk to his wife anymore because her software no longer is supported. That's right. Such is the price that Condo paid for being what's called a fictosexual and marrying a hologram of a fictional character, according to the New York Post. Condo was 38, had what he termed a wedding ceremony in 2018 when he married Hatsune Miku, who in Japanese culture is a 16-year-old pop singer with turquoise hair. That's right. Because being a fictosexual is more popular than one might think, there arose technology to feed that niche. And so, a $1,300 machine allowed those in love with what was not real to talk to their characters and unofficially marry them. A hologram that lives in a glass capsule on a shelf in a corner of the room and the cuddly toy with its big soft head and small body that he holds close at night. True love was never so smooth. That is, until he can no longer contact his fictitious wife. Well, many people are living with a fictitious spouse. In essence, they're married, yes, but you'd never know it. You never really know it by the way they conduct themselves with one another, and that's true even in Christian homes. And that's why the divorce rate over the past, uh, say, 25 to 30 years among the professing Christian community has nearly equaled that of the nation as a whole. And, oh, since the last 20 years, 15, 20 years, the divorce rate in the Bible Belt of America has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. Now, those are the realities. So are we actually living in a fictitious world of fictitious marriages, even as Christians in the Bible Belt of America? Well, we might get some insight from our special guest, Scott LaPierre. Scott, it's good to have you on the program. Thanks, Chuck. It's really glad to be here. Were you, you. Were you aware of the uh, hologram uh, spouse situation? No, I wasn't. I wrote a post on my blog a few years ago about a woman marrying a bridge, which led me to learn about other people marrying each other, a woman uh-huh. that married a dolphin. Uh, but I had not heard about anyone marrying, marrying a hologram, but it does definitely reveal that slippery slope that we've been going down as soon as we deviated from what God's Word said about marriage. It is uh, beyond, beyond our capacity to comprehend, and yet, uh, in one respect, I think this this is revealing what uh, the Apostle Paul wrote about uh, a reprobate mind, don't you think? Well said. I, I, think that's, I think that's completely accurate, because as soon as you leave God's Word, there's no real foundation. You just kind of continue to fall and slide away, and that's, that's what we're seeing. It began with homosexuality. Um, you know, we see it back in Genesis chapter 19 at Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, we're seeing the consequences of that today. By the way, did you know that uh, scientists have now said we have discovered the place of Sodom and Gomorrah it matches everything that the Bible describes? But there was an uproar when uh, scientists, a few scientists decided, you know what, we don't much like to have the Bible affirmed, so they arose in uh, anger and response and tried to debunk uh, the finding. I think that's a, a great point to keep in mind, that the Bible is also an accurate historical book. Sometimes people 
kind of get bored reading the genealogies, but they're mm-hmm. crucial because they remind us <clears throat> they remind us that it it's telling us a history that actually took place. And so we're discussing real people who went to real places and experienced real events, whether it was Sodom and Gomorrah, whether it was David and Goliath, whether it was Noah's flood, or whether it's the creation account. Um, <clears throat> the the Bible is recording what, what took place thousands of years ago. Well, I must say, Scott, uh, reading your book, I was so thrilled. Uh, one of the reasons is because uh, beginning tomorrow, I'm heading down to uh, North Carolina to prepare to uh, officiate at the wedding of my oldest grandson. And uh, this will be the first wedding within our family uh, of such things. And uh, for your book to come out uh, across my path at this time is very, very exciting. And I'm, I'm glad that we're going to be able to share it with our listeners here today. Folks, you're listening to Viewpoint. Our viewpoint concerning marriage is determining destiny. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. One of the shocking characteristics of our times, as announced by World Magazine last week, is fewer divorces. Sounds good, doesn't it? But fewer marriages. Fewer divorces, but fewer marriages. In other words, people across the world, not just in America, but all over the world, are finding marriage to be relatively irrelevant. But if marriage is irrelevant, then why did God create it? Why did he form the first marriage, and why does God have marriage on his mind continually throughout his entire word? Maybe the reason we think marriage is irrelevant is because we think God is irrelevant. Hmm. Our special guest today, Scott LePierre, with his book, Your Marriage, God's Way, which I want to make available to you. It is an, a $19 book, and it's available to you for $17 on our website today. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check and $5 for postage and handling. By the way, there's a workbook that goes with it. It's available for $14 on our website. That would be a total of $21. Uh, plus the uh, postage and handling. And together, you might want to consider, since June is busting out all over next month, the feelings are getting so intense, as the song used to say. Why? Because marriage and June seem to be highly linked, at least historically. Scott LaPierre, your marriage, God's way. You know, I think that's one of the most terrific titles that I have seen concerning uh, marriage books. Marriage God's way. In other words, there's more than one way, isn't there? Yeah, I really appreciate the, the emphasis on that, because I think for our marriages to be the joy and blessing that God desires them to be, there is no other way. 
uh, to do it, then apply what he has said in his word. He's the author of marriage. He created it. He knows what our roles and responsibilities are as husbands and wives, and we're never going to find marriage to be the fulfilling gift that God desires for us if we try to have a marriage independent or separate from what he has said in the Bible. I mean, as the author and creator of marriage, he's the one that knows what we should do to have the best marriages we can. You're you're, uh, a translator, a translator of God's intention uh, as to why our marriage matters before God. And uh, in order to have that kind of authority, you must be somewhat of an expert. And so being a former trial lawyer myself, I always qualify experts uh, before they're able to testify. So uh, how many years have you been married, Scott? I've been married uh, 15 years, but one thing I just want to say, Chuck, and I would want to make this really clear, is I did the very best I could to make sure that my marriage book was not a collection of my thoughts or opinions about marriage. I wanted to write a marriage book that shared what God said about marriage, mm-hmm. and so I did my best. I did my best, which you would you you know from reading it yourself, to present what the Bible says about husbands and wives so that people can apply that to their relationships. So I hope nobody looks at this book and thinks, well, this is Scott LaPierre's opinions and views on marriage. No, that's what really attracted me about the uh, the book and the title, Your Marriage Gone's Way. In fact, so important is that, Scott, that I told my wife, uh, as I was preparing for today's program, I told her that I intended to pre- present uh, your book and the workbook uh, at the wedding uh, that I perform uh, for my oldest grandson on Friday. And uh, that's how important I consider this book. I consider it one wow. of the very best books out there precisely because you have not written it as your opinion, but as God's viewpoint. That really blesses me, Chuck. Thanks a lot. Anytime that I did try to provide a story or illustration in the book, because there are, there are definitely uh, plenty of them, I tried to make sure that they were supporting verses, and so they were illustrating what God's Word says. And mm. so I don't think that people will encounter many points or thoughts in there that aren't supported by Scripture. Well, I don't think so. In fact, one of the things that really captured me is as I went through your table of contents, it was unbelievable. You have cut across every single aspect concerning marriage and uh, what troubles us, and why it is that uh, marriage matters to God, and why it should matter to us, and what we do about it, uh, it is just wonderful. So many times, as I get a hold of these books, people try to be so cute uh, with their books, and they masquerade the truth with all kinds of cuteness in the uh, chapter titles and so on, almost as if you can't even figure out what they're trying to say. And you have said it, and you've said it very carefully, very uh, directly, uh, with hope and with promise and with purpose, and I just want to commend you. Uh, you and I have never met. You and I have never met. But I'll tell you, I think that you and I have met because on the front cover of your book, you have the husband, his wife leaning her head on his shoulder in an open-top convertible. My wife and I have had five or six convertibles over through our married years, and (laughs) (laughs) it was so refreshing to see that, Scott. 
Uh, well, I'm glad. Uh, that blesses me. I'm glad you like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, you've been married 15 years, and uh, any children? We have nine children. You have been, you and your wife have been quite busy obeying God, haven't you? <laughs> well, you know, we got married, and we both had the conviction to let God give us the children that he wanted to give us when mm. he wanted to give them to us. And so I guess if you have nine children, people think you must have must be trying really hard, for lack of a better way to say it, <laughs> to have a lot of kids. <clears throat> um, that wasn't our conviction. Our conviction was basically for God to create our family for us, and we thought that the best way for that to happen was for us to keep our fingerprints off it. And so my wife turned 40 a few months ago, so we always wonder, you know, is this going to be our last child? Uh, he was born in uh, – our ninth child was born in September. His name's George Mueller. Have you heard of George Mueller before? Yes, a great prayer warrior. Yeah. You're yeah, setting the stage, said. brother. You're going you're gonna to need all the prayer you can get with nine kids in a generation like this. <laughs> yeah. My wife read my wife read George's biography to my children and I came home one day and she was crying and I said what's wrong and she had finished his biography and she was so moved and she said if we if God gives us another son I want to name him George uh, Mueller and I thought she was joking but she was serious and you know Chuck if your wife gives you nine children you let her give them whatever name she wants. You know what I mean? <laughs> Well, at least she has certainly been performing as your helpmate, uh, coming alongside, and she needs all the help and support she can get from you, too. She definitely does. We've talked about that and in Ephesians 5, when it commands husbands to love their wives, and in 1 Peter 3, 7, it commands husbands to dwell with their wives in an understanding way. There's not many more ways you can understand and learn your wife and care for her and love her than helping her with uh, the ho- helping her with the children and not leaving her alone to take care of them. Mm. Well, my wife and I, uh, come July, will have been married 57 years. And uh, so between that and, uh, and yours, we have over 70 years of marriage to bring to this testimony here today concerning marriage God's way. You think we might have just a little bit of insight? Well, you know, I'm wondering, you should have written your own marriage book with that. Well, we did. Decades of of marriage. Oh, that's right. We did in celebration of our 50th wedding anniversary. We wrote a book called Lasting Love, Enduring Secrets for Marital Success. So (laughs) I did see that. I saw that. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you for your, I mean, I I think that's a wonderful testimony. And I just want to thank you publicly for you and your wife staying together all these decades and just what that says to a world that does have such a high. Well, it was, it was tough at one point uh, when uh, you know we had been married for about seven years and my wife came to me one day and said chuck i don't feel like i have any more feelings for you and it scares me uh the d word divorce word was never a word uttered on our lips ever in our home and uh, but boy did that ever shake me up and god got my attention uh, that day and i realized you know, this is fish or cut bait time for me. <clears throat> and God really got my attention. And through that, uh, if it had not been for that, I wouldn't be on the air with you here today. So uh, God has a way of working in our lives and taking that which doesn't look so pretty at the moment and turning it into a great blessing, doesn't he? Well, son, that's Romans eight twenty eight that God works together for good, all things for those mm-hmm. who love mm-hmm. him and are called according to his purpose. Well, I feel a real brotherhood uh, with you, uh, Scott. 
And uh, with a name like LaPierre, does that mean uh, uh, you parlez-vous un peu de français? You speak a little French? <laughs> I took some French in high school, and I haven't used any of it, and I don't remember any of it. All right. We're, we're so. brothers again. That's what happened to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Now, your marriage reflects your relationship with Christ. It reflects our relationship with Christ. That is a big deal to realize. I agree with you. And I asked, I put on these marriage conferences throughout the year, and I asked people to think about why they treat their spouse the way they do. Mm-hmm. And I'll, get, I'll give people a moment to consider that, and then I'll tell them that they treat their spouse the way they do because of their relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a pretty radical statement for many people. You know, a husband, but it's a true statement. I'll, it's a true statement. You know, a husband will come into my office, and he'll be upset with his wife. Uh, maybe I'm performing marriage counseling for them. And he'll tell me, he'll say, I don't feel like loving my my wife. I'm upset with her. She's disrespected me or she has mistreated me. She doesn't submit to me, whatever his complaints are. And I'll tell him, and he'll say, you know, she doesn't deserve my love. And I'll say, you know what? She doesn't deserve your love. She is a sinful person. She hasn't, she hasn't been perfect, but who does deserve your love? Christ does. And if you love Christ, you're going to love your wife. Or a wife comes in to my office and she says, you know, I don't, I don't respect my husband. I don't want to submit to him. He, he has looked at things that he shouldn't look at, or he has yelled at me or the mm. kids. And, and I'll say, well, you know what? Your, your husband doesn't deserve your submission because he has been a sinful, selfish person like all of us. But who does deserve your submission? Christ does. And so I'm not really inviting you to I'm, – I'm telling you that what you should think about doing is submitting to your husband because you want to submit to Christ. And you really need to get people to draw on that vertical relationship mm-hmm. because they don't want to, the vertical relationship with Christ because they don't want to draw on that horizontal relationship with their spouse because they're probably upset with their husband or they're upset with her. You can't you can't tell someone, hey, you need to love your wife when he's upset with his wife. Mm-hmm. You can't right. tell them to draw on that relationship. You have to tell them to draw on a higher, more important relationship. And so and say, I know you don't want to love your wife, but think of what Christ has done for you. He's died for you. He's taken the punishment your sins deserve. He was willing to lay down his life, don't you? What would be a good response from you regarding what he has done for you? I think, Scott, the problem is that uh, one of the problems is that we don't uh, understand the nature of love. Uh, Our culture has redefined love as either... uh, Eros love, a sexual love, or a phileo love, which is a kind of brotherly love. But the whole idea of sacrificial love doesn't compute in today's society. You're just making a fantastic point. I'm basically trying to trying to keep my mouth shut while you finish your sentence because I want to jump in there. <laughs> well, and, go and for it. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> uh, if I get a little momentum into this, it kind of goes back to one of the weaknesses of the English language, which is we have one word for love. And so if I say I love popcorn or I love chocolate, mm-hmm. I use the same word when I say I love my wife or I love my children. And obviously, hopefully, uh, you know, I love I love my wife differently than or more than I love chocolate or, or popcorn, you know. Um, but the Greek language had multiple words for love, and you just mentioned a couple of them. There's eros, related to our word erotic. Uh, that's a very conditional love. It's based entirely on the way someone looks or how you feel towards someone. And so if the person's looks change, then so too does your eros for that person. Oh, boy. Um, phileo, phileo is that friendly or brotherly love that you just mentioned, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, Where there isn't much gay, brotherly love today. Uh, no, we see that with, because of violence and crime. <laughs> right. Um, storge, storge is familial love, 
and and Paul talked about people lacking love, lacking natural love, or lacking familial love, and that would be the that would be when we see a mother who's willing to murder her child, mm. commit abortion. And that's the absence or ostorgos, the absence of family love. But what God does is He commands us to have agape, which is an unconditional and sacrificial love. So when we talk about the marriage relationship, if we zoom in on that, in Ephesians 5, when it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, it doesn't say husbands love your wife if. And the word if isn't there because it's not conditional on the wife. And so that's what agape is. Agape loves even when it's not reciprocated, even when it's not appreciated, and even when it's rejected. And that's the love in John three sixteen that God has for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave, you know, gave his he own gave. son. All right, woman. we're going to pick up yeah, on that after this break, Scott. Your Marriage God's Way, terrific, terrific book. I cannot more highly recommend it than what I'm doing today. It's on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. We'll be right back with Scott. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. As many of you know, I practice law for 20 years in Southern California in the largest family law court system in the entire country, the Los Angeles Superior Court System. About 40% of my practice was in the area of family law, and 80% of my clientele came from the broader body of Christ. I've seen what it looks like, friends, and that was from 1975 through 1994. That's right. From 1975 through 1994, that's the period of time that I had the opportunity as a lawyer to look at the underbelly of the body of Christ and see what was really happening. In addition to that, I have pastored for 39 years, believe it or not. So I'm about 450 years old. So many things that the (laughs) Lord has given me the opportunity to do and to be exposed to. And between those two things, being a lawyer and being a pastor, I think between that and Scott's pastoring and experience as a husband uh, and seeing what's going on in the body of Christ, we have enough insight to be able to speak honestly and uh, encouragingly, hopefully, uh, with regard to our marriages. First of all, you need to know that your marriage matters and why it matters. Your marriage matters and why it matters. And if you don't believe that, you'll divorce your spouse. You just will, because that's the spirit of the age. You'll either yield to the flesh or yield to the spirit. 
But those who walk in the Spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh or the commands of the flesh. Because the commands of the flesh always reap corruption. Always. Always. Therefore, I know, Scott, I'm preempting a little bit here uh, as the uh, voice of this broadcast, but I want it to be known that if you allow your feelings to be the Lord of your life, you will your marriage will not reflect the kingdom of God. It will not. Mm-hmm. It'll reflect mm-hmm. your fleshly authority. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why, in this day and age, faith has been given short shrift and our feelings have been made Lord. If your feelings are Lord of your life with regard to your marriage or any other decisions in your life, you're doomed to failure. You're not going to please Christ. And you'll not fulfill the why for your marriage on this planet. I know that's saying it pretty strongly. Scott, uh, what say you? You know, right before the break, you were you were kind of you were talking about how the world, how our society has twisted love and what it really is and mm-hmm. isn't, which relates to what you're just saying. And and so if I back up and get a little momentum into this, our world has has caused us to believe love is kind of a feeling that come and go, comes and goes. You know, mm-hmm. we have this. There's a little baby that flies around with a bow and arrow, and he shoots you. <laughs> uh, you have so you have you have so little control over love and whether you love someone or not that you just get shot by this arrow and then you fall in love. And this is why we use mm-hmm. language like fall in love or fall out of love. Mm-hmm. It almost like gives the impression you're, you're walking along, you trip and fall. And then the next thing you know, you've fallen out of love. And one of the real problems with that is it allows people to tell themselves to believe certain lies. Like a husband could say, well, I no longer love my wife. Or a wife can say, well, I have, I'm married, but I have fallen in love with this other man at my workplace. And they don't feel bad about it because they have convinced themselves that love is something over which they have no control. This is the complete opposite of what the Bible says about love. Hmm. The love chapter, for, the love chapter, First uh, Corinthians thirteen, which well known to many people, is filled with verbs or action words. Mm-hmm. It says that love is love is patient, love is kind. It talks about these things that love does. Now, if love was a feeling or emotion, it would be filled with a lot of adjectives. It would say. Uh, you know, love is, is how you feel when you're very excited and you can't stop thinking about someone. But instead, it's filled, filled with verbs because love is what we do, and we do have absolute control over it. We decide whether to love someone or not. So it's not really, it's totally unbiblical, and I would say even sinful to say that I don't, I don't love my wife anymore, or I can't help but, but fall out of love with my wife. And this is why... In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus could command us to love our enemies. Now, that sounds pretty bizarre, doesn't it? Because how do you feel toward your enemies? You feel the opposite of love. Mm-hmm. You feel resentment, or you feel you might even feel hatred. So how can Jesus command us to love our enemies when we don't have good feelings toward them? Because love is not about feelings. It is about behavior, and you can still choose to be kind. Just using the verbs in First Corinthians 13, you can still choose to be patient. You can be kind. You can be gentle toward your enemy, which is to say you can still choose to love your enemy even when you're upset with that person. And this has a lot of application for the marriage relationship because husbands have to choose to love their wives even when they don't feel like it. 
and wives have to choose to respect their husbands and submit to them even when they don't feel like it. Well, that's why when my wife came to me and said after seven or eight years of marriage, uh, Chuck, I uh, don't have any more feelings for you, and it scares me. She didn't say, I'm leaving. She didn't say, I'm giving up. She just said, I don't have those wonderful feelings right now, and it really bothers me. So the wonderful feelings, the titillation of feelings, isn't always going to be there, though, is it? No, and you you mentioned Eros earlier, which is Eros is a very selfish love. It is only concerned with the way that you feel towards someone. Eros, a marriage cannot be built off of Eros. I, I heard someone say one time, that basically there are two things that can affect a marriage, time and gravity. And what they meant by that was people. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. And so if you have arrows for someone, then what that means is as soon as time and gravity start affecting, you know, the person that you're married to, well, then suddenly your feelings, your arrows disappears. Mm -hmm. And that's why agape is so important. Agape is that love that God commands us to have that persists after, you know, after time and gravity have set in. Well, you make it very clear in your book. I, I, I would say it's the overarching theme of your book that our marriage actually reflects the reality of our relationship with the Lord, either for good or for ill. Our marriage yes. is the on-the-earth representation of God's intention for his kingdom, isn't it? It is. I mean, we see it throughout the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God was the husband and Israel was the bride. And then in the New Testament, we zoom in further to the second person of the triune nature of God, Jesus Christ, and he is the groom, and then the church is the bride. And so just like you said at the beginning of your show, which I really appreciated, I was just just kind of sitting here quietly really enjoying your your mini devotional there that from Genesis from Genesis from Genesis to Revelation God has used the marriage to illustrate uh, the kingdom of God to illustrate the gospel to illustrate Christ's relationship to the church God's relationship to Israel and so it wouldn't be too much to say that few things are as important as marriage which is why I think it's under so much attack yeah and I agree I'm I'm very I'm very convinced. If you, if you kind of work, work forward from this, if you have strong marriages, you can have strong families. If you have strong families, you can have strong churches. If you have strong churches, you're going to have a stronger society. Mm-hmm. But if marriage comes under attack and marriages are devalued or they're destroyed, you end up with weak families or destroyed families, which leads to weak churches, which leads to a weak society, which is what we're, which is what we're saying today, which is why I appreciate your show and everything you're doing, because when you say, I want to save America, we're not going to save the, we're not going to save America economically. It's not about, you know, printing more money. It's not about improving our education or school system. It's not about, you know, uh, our government. It's about the gospel and it's about applying biblical principles and much of that. And it's about having strong marriages and strong families, because as soon as marriages are strong and families are strong, we're going to see an incredible impact on society. But right now it's under attack. There's no real there's no biblical view of of the marriage or of the family right now. All right, so what do you say to somebody right now who's listening and saying, you know what, uh, my feelings aren't there, we're not in a good place, we're struggling, 
Um, yeah, we're going to church, but uh, okay. if anybody okay. were to really see what's going on in our home, it ain't pretty. What do you say? Chuck, I think I think that's a good a good a great question, and I have a few uh, responses. Go for it. So first, I'm I'm going to think about your testimony, which I really appreciated you sharing, because when someone's been married as long as you, almost almost sixty years, I think there's a and I there was another gentleman that interviewed me today, and uh, his his name his name's Jim Beavis, and his wife is Ann, and they interviewed me on their show, and they've been married over sixty years, mm. and I think there's kind of this I think there's kind of a view that when people have been married, you know, for fifty or sixty years that that's just because they've had a perfect marriage and everything has gone well for them and they haven't had any, haven't had any struggles. And so when you, when I love your testimony that at the seven year mark, your wife came to you and said that because people have to hear, have to hear these stories about people who had struggles too, so that they can say, okay, wow, you know, Chuck and his wife made it 57 years and they had struggles around the seven year mark and, and God turned things around for them and helped them to persevere. And he can do the same for us. And so that's that's the first thing that I would say is is you know don't quit don't throw in the towel don't give up remember the covenant that you made with your spouse on your wedding day and most importantly the covenant that you made with God Himself and I always stress that whenever I perform weddings I say you're entering a covenant here with your spouse you're making vows to your husband or to your wife before friends and family but more importantly you're making these vows to God Himself that you are going to remain with this person until death do you part. And that's a very serious thing. Well, it really is a serious thing, especially when Jesus said, by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. And when it says in the Old Testament, uh, you know, better it is that you not vow than that you vow and not pay. And don't say before the angel, oh, it was just a mistake or an error. No, we're held by the words that we speak, and they are spoken as eternal in the mind and heart of God, aren't they? Yeah, well said. And I think that's why at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, God says, I hate divorce. I mean, there's not that many things that we find in Scripture that he says he hates. And when we notice them, we really need to, we yep. really need to consider them. Absolutely. So the book, that... friends, Your Marriage, God's Way, uh, it's a $19 book, yours for $17 on our website, saveus.org. We can't even scratch the surface hardly of this, this book today and its spirit. It is so wonderful. You really, really, really need to get a hold of this book. And for somebody who's going to get married, absolutely. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Through your marriage, God wants to cast a vision that is visible to everyone around you. 
to your children, Mm -hmm. to your grandchildren, to those in your congregation, to those in your neighborhood, to those in your place of work. God is looking to your marriage to cast that vision of his kingdom in living color. This is HD for God, high definition. That's what he wants to see from your marriage, and that's why your marriage matters. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, well said. And right right before we took that break there, you would ask me what I would say to that person whose marriage is struggling. And and one of the other things that I would say, which relates to what you're saying, is we should remember that God is for your marriage. I mean, sometimes when I pray for people, I don't know what God's will is. I don't know what God wants for them. So someone, someone could come to me and ask me to pray for, you know, their friend or their parent that has cancer, and I don't know whether God is going to heal that person. But I do know that when I pray for marriages, that God wants us to have healthy, joyful marriages. In 1 Corinthians 7, marriage is called a gift. God has given us marriage to be a blessing. And so when I pray for people to have stronger, healthier marriages, I know that that's something that God wants to see. And so those people who are struggling, that's just one of the encouragements I would give is that God is for you and he is for your marriage. Well, as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. And the same is true for a husband. A husband is bound to his wife as long as mm-hmm. she lives. But mm-hmm. only if that husband or wife is deceased, only then are they free to remarry, and then only in the Lord. I don't know how it is that pastors can so blithely overlook that passage, but they do and justify marital splits uh, that actually defile uh, God's plan and purpose for marriage, I think. Uh, Romans 7 says the same thing. It yes. talks about a woman being free to remarry after the spouse has died. And I've never performed a wedding for someone who had a living spouse, and I would I would never do that. Neither would because I. Because the Bible, I think, is very clear about divorce and remarriage. And, I'm, I'm, and you know, I know, I know people who are divorced and remarried. I love them. I'm mm-hmm. for them. I want what's best for them. But... I, I think the Bible has some very strong verses about remarriage when you have a living spouse. And so I would encourage people to be remain in the marriage that they're in, because if they divorce and their spouse is still alive, there's a lot of verses about adultery um, that I would want to stay away from. Yeah, well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 makes it very clear, don't be deceived, uh, but fornicators and adulterers and practicing homosexuals will not the enter the kingdom of God. So I I don't know how we overlook that either. Uh, The only hope there is absolute unmitigated repentance, uh, confession and repentance. And uh, we can't get into that any more deeply than just to uh, iterate that at this point. Now, Mm -hmm. I want to go ahead. I I was just going to say, Chuck, I I appreciate hearing you say this because I think it's so rare. And it sounds like the two of us have uh, the same view of divorce and remarriage and I just appreciate you saying that on the air because I don't think that it's shared often enough. And I think there's some people that learn that see verses about divorce and remarriage and adultery after they've already remarried. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, uh, you know, I wish they would have heard something earlier. Yeah. So that's why I appreciate you saying something. Yeah. And then they're in great pain and they're asking, what do I do now? Okay. Right. We don't have time to get into that, but let's, we're, we're focusing on why our marriage matters. And it does matter. It matters to God. It's a very, very, very big deal. So let's look at the picture 
that God was trying to create, or not trying to create, but did create by uh, creating the first marriage. And a lot of it has to do with a hierarchy of of structure in his kingdom, whether you want to call it a uh, hierarchy of authority. Uh, I think that's a good word, but it's not a word that's well-received today. Uh, Tell us a little about that. Good. I'm, I'm going to get a little. I'm going to back up just a little bit to set, kind of set the tone for this. Uh, if you look at any organization, any organization. If you look at businesses, there's a president and there's a vice president. If you mm-hmm. look at a sports team, there's a head coach and assistant coach. There's. If you look, you know, there's a pilot and a co-pilot. When I was a school teacher, there's a principal and assistant principal. You never have two head coaches, two head presidents. You never have two head pilots. I mean, if you went in to get operated on. And then how how comfortable would you feel if there were two head surgeons that are going to be operating on you trying to figure out what to do, you know? And You'd so have constant arguments is, and indecision about what to do. <laughs> exactly. And so my point is we recognize the need for headship and submission in all areas of life. But sadly, people want to deny the need for it in the marriage relationship. But what God has done is he has taken the wisdom that we recognize should be applied everywhere else in every other organization or business or team. And he has said that that should also be applied in the marriage relationship. And so because of that, he has not put two heads in marriage. There's a, there's one head, the, the husband is called to be the head of the wife. It's in first Corinthians 11 mm-hmm. and Ephesians five, just as Christ is the head of the church. Well, that would be and like a chimera, of, wouldn't it? That would be like a chimera two two or three headed animal. Yeah, and, and I do think it's kind of a monstrous situation, mm-hmm. and I think that there are some marriages, because the, the fact is this, Chuck, when at creation God said it is not good for man to be alone, I will make him a help me, and you had, you had even used the, the original word help me versus helper, which I appreciated, because the idea is a wife helps meet her husband's needs, and one of the ways that a wife help, helps meet her husband's needs is by offering her thoughts and counsel and advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would tell a husband he would have to be very foolish to disregard his wife's thoughts and counsel. And so if I'm ever considering a decision, I'm my wife is the first person that I'm talking to for to get her thoughts about that. But if my wife and I talk at length about something, we have a decision to make, and we can't come to an agreement, at that point, you know, are you going to flip a coin? Are you going to play paper, rock, scissors? That's not what you're going to do. <laughs> God has decided that for the marriage to go, for the relationship to go forward, when there is a standstill or there's a stalemate, the husband is the one who's going to make the decision, and then the wife is going to support that husband's decision. In other words, and the so, buck stops with husband, but he he uh, is willing to secure the viewpoint of his wife. I had to do that this very day. I had an idea, thought to do it, and my wife said, you know what? I think that wouldn't be wise because here's how people will look at it. And I decided you're right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, I think that's wise. And I think that God gave us a help me. And that's one of the ways that she helps. And I think you've got to be a foolish man to disregard your wife's thoughts and counsel, but there are going to be that times when you can't come to an agreement. And that's when a wife is expected to, to submit to her husband, you know, and I've heard, I've heard some women who have told me, well, you know, I would submit to my husband if I agreed with him. And my wife tells me. <laughs> That's what people are saying and, about God. And so they say, you know, I, I like what he said here, and I like what he said here, but I don't like what he said over here. So they uh, have selective submission to God and his word. 
you're, you're absolutely right. And when people tell me that, what they're really telling me is that they don't understand submission mm-hmm. because submission is, in, submission is in place for when we disagree. Like if I tell my children, if I say, hey, why don't you guys go, you know, if my kids, I know my kids like to play outside. And if I tell them, why don't you guys go play outside, they don't have to submit to me. They want to play outside. Mm-hmm. Submission, submission is in place for when there's a disagreement so that the relationship can go forward. And, I, and in my book, there's, a, there's qualifiers I put on this. A wife is not expected to submit to sin. She's not expected to submit to abuse. When we talk about a wife submitting, we're not talking about a husband being a, being a tyrant or being domineering or cruel or harsh or anything along those lines. I mean, Colossians 3, I think it's uh, Colossians 3 says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Mm-hmm. And so the same Bible, the same Bible that commands wives to submit to their husbands also commands husbands to love their wives with the same selfish and sacrificial love that Christ showed to the church, which makes for a very beautiful relationship. Well, it does. And, you know, in Ephesians chapter 5, that usually gets quoted, uh, wives submit to your husbands as under Christ and husbands love your wives, it begins with each of you submitting to the other in the fear of God. Under the, where each of you is mutually submitted to the other in the fear of God. Now, in that context, wives submit yourselves to your husbands, husbands love your wives. So it brings a, a holy balance to it. And, uh, so if a husband is not willing to submit to the Lord, he can't very well expect his wife to submit to him. So years ago, Scott, uh, you're talking about doing marriage seminars. My wife and I were conducting a marriage seminar in Southern California. And uh, I, was to, I was to give an opening address, and uh, I had no clue what I was going to say. That, very few times have I had this kind of situation, and I was sitting in the hotel room uh, in somewhat uh, despair, uh, and I said, okay, Lord, this is your game. This is marriage is your thing. And he led me to a passage where it says, Sarah called Abraham Lord. First Peter three. Yeah. yeah. Sarah five. called Abraham Lord. And I saw that and I said, why was that Lord? And he said, because Abraham submitted to me. That's why Sarah called Abraham Lord, because Abraham submitted to me. So here was my opening address, and I've never forgotten this since. A husband must first become a wife before he can become a husband. He has to be willing to submit as the bride of Christ to Christ before he can legitimately expect his wife to submit to him. What do you think? Well, at the beginning, you're talking about First Peter 3, and at the beginning of that passage, it actually commands wives to submit to their husbands, even if their husbands do not obey the word, or even if their husbands are unbelieving. True. And so, so we, do, we do want to be careful, because I've received this question many times at marriage conferences, where a wife has said, you know, I'm married to an unbelieving husband, what am I supposed to do? And I'll say, well, it's actually your submission to him based on First Peter 3, verses 1 and 2, right. that God can use to win your husband to Christ. It's actually your submission that allows your husband to see Christ through you exactly. and can win, can win him from unbelief. Well, the, point, um, the point that I was making is not, not to disregard what you're saying, but that it's much easier for a wife to submit to her husband if he's willing to submit to the Lord. I agree with that a thousand percent. Yeah, I think yeah. that one of I, I I typically say this in marriage conferences, 
that one of the one of the best ways for a husband to love his wife is to love Christ because then he's making her submission so much easier. So when husbands wife, and wives are having struggles and they're trying to resolve it uh, with human counsel on the human level, back and forth, or argue or discuss things back and forth, they're missing the point because Christ is at the top of this triangle and he is the head of the home, he's the head of the church, and the marriage, uh, husband and wife, are the smallest microcosm of the church. So the only way we can come closer to one another is to come closer to the Lord, and as we do that and move up that triangle, the sides of that triangle, we necessarily become closer to one another, don't we? Well said, and I'll share something with you uh, briefly here. People come in for marriage counseling, and they really kind of want a referee. They want me to side with them and side against their spouse, and they want me to tell them that they're right and their spouse is wrong. So just picture the scenario. A husband comes in, a wife comes in. They start telling me how terrible their spouse is, and then I start talking to them about their devotional time or their prayer time. I start talking (laughs) to them about their church attendance, and they're kind of shocked by that. They say, are you listening? You know, did you just hear how I told you my husband is yelling at me and, and and the the wife, the husband says, did you hear how I just said my wife was disrespecting me? And I'll say, I did hear that. But basically, I'm convinced that if you grow toward Christ and grow in your relationship with him, these problems you have with each other are going to have a way of working themselves out. In other words, the problems are a symptom of your relationship or lack thereof with Christ. Well said. It's like you've got my book in front of me or something. Well, you you know, (laughs) as a good trial lawyer, Scott, I always come prepared. Always. You were prepared for sure. I really appreciated this interview very much. (laughs) All right. Well, friends, the book, Your Marriage, God's Way. Your marriage actually matters, and we've talked about why it matters. Oh, so much more we could have talked about, but you've got to get the book. A Biblical Guide to a Christ-Centered Relationship. This is real, friends. You really want to have hope and direction? Here it is. Just $17 will put this book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can get a copy of the workbook that goes with it, another $14. And you can give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Get it. If you know somebody that's getting married, get the book. You can't make a better gift. And please become a partner with us as we continue to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Remember... He's not coming back with us for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. Remember that. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 